Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Arich Nord. Women on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nations. We also acknowledge Elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the lands you're hearing us from. On today's Women on the Line, we chat with Rashida Phillips and More Mother, who run Black Quantum Futurism, about the intersections of justice and science fiction, as well as the beauty of community building through an Afrofuturist lens. We caught them in Melbourne after performing and facilitating workshops at Mona Foma in Tasmania. Here is More Mother introducing herself. Hello everyone, my name is More Mother and... I am a creator. I create all kinds of things, anything that uh, my imagination, you know, allows me to believe that I can do, you know. Um, Why do I do this? It's the only thing that I um, am good at, just being honest to what I can create and having the confidence to put it out there. I can't even imagine any other field that I could be in that doesn't allow me to constantly create This is my second year, or the start of my second year without a government job. And and I was just thinking a lot about that. I was a um, sports coach. I coach football and softball and basketball. And I think about that job, but I I see myself being really creative in that position because I was working at a private school where a lot of the kids have never met anyone like me or, you know, so it was a really way of teaching them that there are different people that hold value in the world besides, you know, those that are rich. And also just being uniquely myself, whether I'm really goofy or, you know, just allowing my imagination to also take part in that job, which is really uh, cool to look back and see. It would be nice to be like, to run a museum or something or a record label or something like this, but right now I'm satisfied with just creating. Hi, my name is Rashida Phillips. Um, I'm an attorney, public interest attorney who does um, housing work with low-income people in Philadelphia. I'm an artist, creative person, science fiction writer, and a mother. Um, and why I do what I do, um, all of my life experiences have led me to do the work that I do and to be who I am. Um, you know, I can point back to any, you know, particular event or experience in my past, and I feel like it's all interconnected and it has all led me to where I am. Um, so I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Rashida, you said you're a public interest lawyer, and um, I think that that is a very interesting field, questions of justice and questions of the legal system and how, um, I guess, black people globally, black people in the US, black people and Indigenous people here in Australia experience that. How do you navigate 
that space of being a lawyer and also a community activist and working within low-income families and communities? Um, It's an ongoing process of um, figuring out the balance between that work, but more and more I um, find that um, those two worlds are not as opposed as one might think. Um, Thinking about art and justice and science fiction and the law, I mean, it's all, you know, in terms of how we distill it through our philosophy and our practice as black quantum futurism, it's all really interconnected and it all kind of comes back to this idea of temporality and time and how that is expressed in the world and how that's used to oppress um, black communities and low-income communities and how it's used as a way to pass down intergenerational wealth in, in um, non-black communities. Um, so I think you know, having that understanding of, of some of those dynamics helps me to navigate those worlds and, and to find resonance between those two things. Um, but yeah, it's an ongoing process. It's It can be really difficult for me. Um, like being here, for example, for two weeks, I'm missing out on <laughs> doing really important work at work. Um, right now we have a, a lot of, we're expanding um, our practice and I'm a managing, I manage our housing unit at uh, my job and Um, We are working on increasing access to attorneys for low income people who are facing loss of their housing. And um, so, yeah, it's 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 a constant balance, a a constant struggle. But through black quantum futurism, we found ways to like um, create projects. Um, So like we created a project called Community Futures Lab, for example, um, that pulled together um, concepts of Afrofuturism and thinking about the future of your community and really brought it to the people to be able to engage in that. And, and we also offered housing and legal resources through that project. So we're finding ways to like be able to connect all of those different dots to make it my life a little bit easier. But. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about black quantum futurism and talk about um, how these concepts of Afrofuturism can manifest in these kind of day-to-day experiences of black people um, in the US and globally and and how you manage to find that and grasp that? Um, So, yeah, I mean, much like what we were kind of talking about earlier before we got on the radio, um, I have been interested in science fiction all my life since I was a a young child um, writing and reading science fiction. But when I grew up, went to college, started, you know, learning about my own history as a black woman and, and becoming to, coming to understand my own identity, um, I rejected science fiction as well. And I didn't know about Octavia Butler. I didn't know that there was this whole thing of Afrofuturism out there. I didn't realize it um, until um, I did come across Octavia Butler's work and, and then my world sort of opened up there. Um, and so from the time, the moment that I heard about Afrofuturism, and what it was, it, it was automatically intuitive to me, like the concept, the word. I was just like, oh, shit, that is what I am. You know, that's what that's what I've been engaging in. That's what I've been looking for. That's what's been looking for me. Um, but when I came across it, I was already an attorney. I was already in, in my career. I was already doing what I needed to do. Um, and it was really always really important to me that if I was going to engage with this concept of Afrofuturism, that it be a part of my community and my work, like that it be accessible to the people that I was serving in my community and to the sort of communities that I had come from. Like that was always an important thing to me, not the aesthetic of it. You know, I think all of it is important and I think it's useful. But for me, the really important aspect of it was how 
can this concept be used to open up justice and to have people who don't get access to the future literally because we're being shot down or because we're being, um, you know, this quote unquote soft or slow violence of um, environmental destruction of our communities or housing insecurity or food, you know, whatever the case may be, like how is Afrofuturism helping this? Like how is it, how can it be used in these communities? Um, So that was always important to me. Yeah, um, I remember my final year in high school, I had the opportunity to read um, Octavia Butler's Kindred. And it was just one of those, it was at a store, like this summer job that I had. And it was, you know, every month or so they would uh, present all of Oprah's top 10 books. And that was one of the 10 that was just there for sale. And it was really interesting because, yeah, now I can say this was the first science fiction or Afrofuturist book I've ever read, but I didn't know it. It didn't feel like it was science fiction. It didn't feel like it was, you know, by the the main character slipping through time. It didn't seem like that was so wild or crazy of an idea, you know. I instantly related to it because I'm I felt like myself was slipping back through time to understand these different aspects of the so-called history they're teaching me versus the the history that I feel and see. And, you know, especially looking at my grandparents and my family. So it just felt like so right now, like this is something that we're all dealing with slipping back through time. And it really um, highlights an idea that we speak about now, you know, with the Afrofuturist affair, Metro Polarity, that sci-fi is reality, mm-hmm. you know, or just terms like the futures now, because this was a lot of what we were going through. It wasn't some, you know, off-putting idea. And that's what really inspires me about Afrofuturism, of how this can seem like some far-fetched ideas, but it feels so home right now. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, well, what are we actually going through that Hollywood or so many different novels that we read is saying that it's not the reality. Like our lives every day from just coming on the, in the car over here, they were talking about in Australia, the prisons in the north, about how, you know, and I like to use this word ancient, meaning how far behind people are with uh equality, even if it's in the prison system, you know, and just speaking about how for the youth, it wasn't even a place for rehabilitation, let alone for a young person to be even staying in these conditions. So that's something that can be a Hollywood blockbuster, you know, but it's like, this is the reality of what so many of us throughout the world are going through and we need to actually call it by its name. So Afrofuturism and really black quantum futurism allows us to redefine, you know, and look through it with a different lens. So, and that's been, the black quantum futurism has been the lens that we've been able to continue this work. On Community Radio around Australia, you're listening to a chat with the pair behind Black Quantum Futurism, Rashida Phillips and More Mother, on Women on the Line. Don't forget you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Afrofuturism as a concept 
you both have explained is something that is a reality and it's something that is in the right now. And just in a practical sense, how is that applied and how do we apply that to understand our like past and our present and our future in a better way and also to be able to survive our present and our future? I mean, I yeah, I mean, that's a huge question. You know, I, I think we can kind of only at least in this space, talk about it from our perspective and how we engage with that. And I think the critical way that we do that is through thinking about time and reimagining time. And I think what Afrofuturism does in and of itself on its face um, is it modifies how we experience time. It says time is not linear. Time is not speeding into chaos and about to blow up like time is cyclical time is dynamic time is contextual time is all of these different things um that you know i think for us afrofuturism gives us that's how we enter afrofuturism through this 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 realm of time and and um allows us to kind of just explore again the ways in which um western linear time has put us in these positions that we're in like very practically like I'm not talking about like abstract sense of time I'm talking about how time was literally beaten into enslaved Africans like how time um, was used to regulate um, you know our birth and our death and our you know all of these these things um, it really took you know they, they took our rituals they took all of these things from us by turning time into a physical entity and, and a tool of, of oppression and, and slavery um, so Afrofuturism, I think, on its face, attaching that prefix of Afro to futurism really opens up to say that this future is not this this um, future that Thomas Jefferson, our founding father, imagined. It's not the future that whoever the, you know, quote unquote founding father in Australia or Melbourne is. It's, it's not that future. It's a different sort of future um, and, and unpacking that. Yeah, I mean, speaking about the different temporalities temporalities that take place within a community you know because uh, we speak about this a lot where different officials have a future plan you know we're talking about the shifting of neighborhoods they have a future plan that we have no idea about or we haven't even been asked or you know even been a part of any meetings discussing the future of us you know so um, we definitely yeah, we definitely come at that lens and realizing that we're, you know, not all on the same playing field, you know? And for me, um, as an attorney, you know, just bringing that thought to my work, it just changes how I engage with my work, how I engage with the concept of a poor, per- poor black woman um, losing her home and 30 days, you know, because, you know, her landlord refused to fix her roof or, you know, whatever the case may be. So really bringing that thought into my work and thinking about the ways in which um, black folks and poor folks are denied time, literally, and how I can, as a lawyer, um, work to expand that or work with them to expand the landscape of time for them and, and, um, you know, how they can engage or, or interact with the future, um, I think is really important in a practical way that we think about, but we do it through other projects and things that we work on as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's talk about those projects. Um, I know that we kind of, before we started recording, we're talking about the workshops and um, not revealing too much about what they entail, but kind of thinking about the purpose and also 
Um, I also want to know about the reception and how people have received the workshops and received Black Quantum Futurism in your communities. Yeah, well, um, you know, the workshops are are very important, but it's really about this idea that so many workshops are like, let me teach you this this skill, um, you know, it's really important to do this and do that, but for sometimes the facilitator of that workshop doesn't really take the information on. It's like this kind of weird skill share that everyone's trying to figure out. And I think the beautiful thing with the workshops with you know, Black Quantum Futurism is that we're saying this is something that has worked with us. You know, these different ways of, you know, exploring temporalities and exploring visualization and using writing and sharing of oral histories and oral futures. Like, this is stuff that we actually do and it has become successful to us. So we're sharing in this, this way of saying, you, a neighborhood person that just is a community member, you don't have to be, you know, this lawyer, this prophet, this status in the community to say that your voice has value. And, you know, that's really been, to me, the most important thing of, of realizing how important community members are and the sharing of the story. So a lot of our workshops is that, you know, really providing agency, telling the community that we could actually take part in the future of this area. Yeah, and we've seen we've we've seen change, you know, we have seen change through that. And I think language is really important. We think about that. We're not just coming into these workshops like, oh, Afrofuturism and, you know, talking about all of these heady concepts. We really bring it down to earth, like in a way that everybody can connect with. Everybody talks about the future. Everybody thinks about the future, um, you know, whether or not we think about it or not, like it, time and temporality and future is so embedded in how we engage with each other that we don't even have to think about it. And so when you do like pull it out and, and name it, I, I think people like really can connect with that. So like one way we start off our workshops is we ask people, what's your vision of the future? You know, that is like how we open up pretty much every workshop. Anybody can answer that question. Um, you know, so I, I think it's really important to like, you know, people ask that all the time. Like, how do you talk about Afrofuturism? People don't know what that is. No, people do know what it is, <laughs> actually. You know, if you if you kind of just take the time to like, just pull the concept down to earth because it is a it's a very normal thing. You know, in a sense. Yeah. So with in the Community Futures Lab, how we designed workshops were they were just walk-in workshops. You didn't have to be there on a certain time. You didn't have to have this prerequisite amount of information to just talk about where do you see yourself in the future and also to keep to understand the importance of keeping note of what was here before us that was one of the main parts of saying you know it was kind of cool because we're like okay we see you doing this development but we're going to take photos of you every day we're going to record you every day like this community means something to us and we're not just you know blind or i have this song where it's like um they're dropping bombs in the city, but no one is watching. And that's how I feel a lot. It's just like, oh, we're desensitized to what's happening in our community. They have pushed us away from even feeling a connection to that community. It's just a place where we go to work. Or it's just a place where, you know, there's all of these, you know, struggles. 
and a lot of people try to really put this dialogue or this um I don't know, this idea around how low income or poor people are living, you know. I did a interview with The Guardian in London and the headline was something like I had to fight my way out of the ghetto. And I said, I never said I had to fight my way out of the ghetto. Actually, where I grew up, growing up around 99% of people that look like me, same social class, it was beautiful. It was like a utopia that I probably will never see again. Like, So don't tell me I had to fight out of this or putting this, you know, yeah, this narrative on how we're living. But that's the narrative that they're pushing to redevelop. You know, that's the narrative that they're pushing to say, you don't, you've lost control of your community. We have to come in and save it. And it's just yeah. this savior complex that they've been shoving down our throat since a couple hundred years now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, yeah. That um, is mirrored so identically here in Australia. That um, question of, or that idea of, you're not coping, you can't do it, and we need to really come and and ensure that we make this place safer, not just for everyone else, but also for you. And that is, you know, I guess the premise and the core of gentrification and the core of taking over communities. Um, I guess like the one we are in right now in in Fitzroy in Melbourne. Um, Okay, so let's think about and let's talk about this um, idea of like speculating an alternative future. Um, We have, you know, many different ways that we do this. One um, in particular is uh, mapping. You know, um, we do these things called temporal maps, quantum maps, really housing maps we do we use mapping as a tool really to um also change the idea of technology that's one of the big things you know changing definitions of being like you know on the on the pole of duality being like yeah the african in the enslaved african was used as a technology you know but also like there's also a positive side of our bodies being technology and the places that we're able to travel and the things that we're able to um, hold, you know? Yeah, exactly what you said. I mean, I think one of the things that is really, really important to us when in re-envisioning futures, re-envisioning past is to define and to understand um, what future means and to understand where we commonly see the future as placed because most of us see the future as in front of us um, and it really again, reinforces this idea of linearity, which just doesn't, I I think, just puts us right back into the same position if we're not re-examining, like, where is the future placed? If the future is in front of us, you know, it becomes this race of, like, who gets there and we don't get the same access to it. So part of our exercises and workshops is really about, like, breaking down what does the future mean? What does this word, where does this word even derive from? What does the future look like in other cultural systems um, that don't, you know, use the English language and don't use this concept? Um, You know, so really like diving into that, I think, um, can really help to facilitate this idea of how we reimagine the future of the past. Um, Another thing that we do is, is, like Kamei said, this quantum event map that um, has people like 
sort of break down a constellation of of an of an event or a memory, whether it's a future memory or a past or a past event, um, and has people like kind of reexamine like how did this event pull together to create itself and like what were the different parts of it and like you know if you want to change some aspect of it you can but for most people it's about seeing something there that they never saw in that memory or um you know using this kind of tool to be able to create that future memory um not just imagine it but like really say how is this future memory going to come into being how is it going to come into play um so those are just some of the different ways that we think about that concept Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs> You know, part of my workshop is uh, called Anthropology of Consciousness, where I go to places and I write from what I feel there. So I've been doing this for a very long time, so I already had the first line that summed it up, and I didn't even have to c continue traveling. I'm like, okay, I can just sit home and write this, that Australia is America tomorrow. I don't want to, you know, go into it so deep because I kind of want to, save it for you know and I'm still working on the poem but save it for the the poem and I'm definitely going to pass it to liquid architecture to pass to everyone and hopefully include it be included in a zine that I know some community people here make we just heard from more mother ending on a description of the poem she started writing about being in Australia for more info on More Mother, Black Quantum Futurism and Rashida, jump on our program page for links. Black Quantum Futurism, Transgender VHS, we are Women on the Line is one of Community Radio's National Women's Cone Affairs programs. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email at womenontheline at gmail.com. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, 3cr.org.au slash womenontheline. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by Le Tigre. And the feature song for today's episode of Women on the Line is KBGK by More Mother. Thank you for listening to Women on the Line. I'm Arige Nord and I hope you can tune in again next time. Before they walk together out in the guns and the machetes.